Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. This episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast is brought to us by our good friends at the United States Concealed Carry Association. Being a responsibly armed American is both an honor and a responsibility. It's not one to be taken lightly. If you own a gun, then you need the self-defense education training and self-defense liability insurance that you get with a USCCA membership. Click learn more below right now. To explore your membership options, which are risk-free with the USCCA's bulletproof money-back guarantee. Guys and gals, the U.S. Concealed Carry Association was founded to help responsibly armed Americans like you and I. They're committed to providing life-saving self-defense resources to help you and your family be safe. When you activate your membership, you'll automatically get life-saving self-defense education, industry-leading training, plus self-defense liability insurance. Don't wait until it's too late. Click learn more below right now. And as always, the USCCA is not an insurance company. A policy has been issued to the USCCA by Universal Fire and Casualty Insurance Company. That policy provides the association and its members with self-defense liability insurance subject to its terms, conditions, limitations, and exclusions. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Steadfast and Law Podcast. I have an incredible honor, someone that I've looked up to since the day that I officially met him. I had the incredible opportunity of being his congressional representative down in South Florida. And so whether it's on the radio, on the stage, on his podcast, or in print, James Golden, the man that we knew as Bo Snurdly with Rush Limbaugh, defies categorization and limitation willing to champion long-held beliefs and question conventional thought from the establishment, James brings a fresh voice with thoughtful insights to back up his words. Whether it's through whispers, shouts, or tears, his perspective will embolden you, surprise you, and always cause you to think more deeply about the subject. No broadcaster in America can match the passion and insight of my friend James Golden. From his days as co-host of WABC's James and Joel's show to his legendary role as Bo Snurley of Rush Limbaugh fame, James helped usher in a golden age of talk radio, and he's not finished yet. James Golden is back behind the mic and bringing his unique style to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. James Golden, thank you so much, and welcome to our podcast. Alan, I've never had an introduction like that. So of course I'm you have. Probably- no, and thank you. I appreciate it so much. And, you know, you tell me you look up to me. I, I just can't because, you know, and I've said this in front of you and I've said it to um, and I've said it when we've been in public to other people. You know, you are the man that I look up to. Your service to this country 
is is something to me that we should all treasure every day. And what you did for me is, you know, my father was military. Yeah. My father served in the Korean War. My my father served in World War II. And so when I when when I hear the love that those who served under you have for you, it brings it all home for me in a way that's so personal. And and you are just a hero, not just to me, but to so many other Americans. Well, you're too kind. And, you know, the reason why we stand and we fight and we do, like your dad and my dad, my dad was a World War II veteran, is so that we can set the conditions for others. And when I think of you and what you have done and the trailblazing that you have put out there, that's why I admire you. That's why I look up to you, because you were taking those slings and arrows long before I came along, and you made it possible for me. So I will forever be indebted to you about that. And so with that being said, let's talk about, you know, the kid from New York, how did you get involved in, you know, the talk radio? What what brought you in? What about your family upbringing made you this strong constitutional conservative and this beacon that we uh, we see and know and love? Well, I didn't always identify as a conservative, number one, and I didn't know I was a conservative until I started working with Rush. And then it was a real serious alignment of, well, wait a minute. I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> And, and and but up until then, you know, I I didn't even know how I identified politically. I knew that I wasn't a Democrat though. Um, after the Reagan years, I kind of figured this 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 whole Democrat thing is not for me. But radio was a a family matter. My cousin was a disc jockey. He came to New York from Buffalo, Jerry Bledsoe, and was a very popular disc jockey. And I walked into an AM radio station, WWRO, when I was 14 years old. Hmm. And it was one of those things. To this day, I remember what I wore. I remember everything <laughs> about it because it was life-changing for me. Yeah. When I walked past the reception area, area and opened up the door, I was in a newsroom. I remember it. I remember who was there working. And then I went to the control room and saw my cousin working and and on the air. And I knew that moment that I wanted to be in radio. Um, I was 14 years old. And the strange thing happened that day, too. Um, one of the production guys, a guy by the name of Rocky Bridges, who was, I mean, he was Grump, Mr. Grump personified. But he didn't know who I was, but he saw me there later that day because I hung around. And he just said, you, kid, come here. I want to show you how to do some things. And he started, he took me in the, in the production room and started teaching me. Then we had tape, yeah. how, to, how to cut tape, how to do, uh, how to do some production things. So I think in a way it was just pure destiny that I was meant to be in, in radio. Of course, it was years before I got my first job in radio, but it was at that very station doing marketing and research. And then later on, I started, I started developing this very new thing that was emerging in radio. I was one of the first, and it called music research. And I did that. That's what took me to WABC, um, top 40 station, the best known call letters in, in the world and certainly in the country. And I did music research and became their music director. Um, I ended up producing their very last music show, walked into another studio and produced their very first talk show. So, and from there, my career in talk radio began and took off. I worked 
I've had the amazing blessing of working with people that were the best at what they did, even before Rush. Um, people in radio business would know the names, people like Dan Ingram, of course, Jerry Bledsoe, Gary Bird, uh, Ron Lundy, and on and on and on. And um, then in talk radio, I work with some of the biggest names in talk radio, too. And so I've always had been surrounded by people who are really good and who really loved the craft, as I, as I did. I mean, I fell in love with radio when I was a kid, and I'm still in love with it as a medium. Uh, and I'm still in love with the music side of it, too. Yeah. So it's it, it's been a remarkable career. Meeting Rush, of course. I met Rush's first day in New York outside of ABC headquarters on 6th Avenue when he was just coming in with Ed McLaughlin, his broadcast partner. I knew Ed. Ed had been very nice to me. Um, and this was just, again, blessings. You know, I um, had wanted to know how to do, how to, how to, read network ratings. Mm -hmm. And so I just called, I picked up the phone and I called ABC Network and I asked if I could speak to someone that could teach me network ratings. The president of the company of ABC Radio Networks, Ed McLaughlin, had me come over across the street, sat me down with rating books, showed me how to read network ratings. This man would later become Russia's partner. I mean, all the way through my life in radio has been incredibly blessed. You know, w when I listen to you talk, it, it is the opportunities that came uh, to you, and you were able to take advantage of those opportunities. So you're there at WABC. How is it that all of a sudden you go from being a music director or, or what have you, you know, doing their music research, and now all of a sudden you're behind the microphone. You're, you're hosting one of their shows there. How did that opportunity come about? Well, I mean, I've been in the business all my life. Now, part of the reason was, um, this is an interesting question, because I was, <laughs> I was afraid for a lot of years to get behind the mic, because I didn't want to fail at it. I All the people that I was around were so good at it. They were the best. And I will tell you something, as you, as you probably know, when you first get behind the mic, e even if you've been around it, and and especially if you're doing something live, when that mic opens for the first time, it, there's there could be a sense of, uh-oh, what do I do now? Yeah. So, <laughs> but I had been in it, and, and so it was natural. By the time I was ready to accept the fact that my career wouldn't be complete, unless I did the air, the air work, in addition to producing. Um, then that opportunity opened up. John Minnelli, who was the program director of ABC, said, I'll put you on, I'll put you on the air on the weekends if you want. And I, and he, with Joel um, Santista band, and we, our show was bang up. We quickly, it became um, and the number one show in its time slot. And then they gave me another show on Sunday with just me, and that show was also for talk radio number one in his time slot. So it, so I was working seven days a week because I was still working with Rush, mm -hmm. five days, and then I would do the weekend shows for seven years. And I think during that entire time, I may have taken off about two or three weeks vacation, and I was wow. sick for a few days. But it was continuous, and it was just great training. But by that time, I really knew the business. I had been in the business then for um, professionally for over uh, 15 years at that point. I mean, it started out pretty young, but it just, it all worked out. And I'll tell you something else though, Alan, God prepares you for what you're going to do in life. That's right. 
He totally prepares you. And so the reason I was able to make the transition from music to talk, and a lot of people didn't, was because all the while I had this burning passion for music, and I still do. I also had this burning passion for politics and for history mm-hmm. and and um, and for news. And so for me, when I look back on it, I, I sometimes even shake my head how effortless it was for me to move from the music side of the business to the talk side. I didn't skip a beat. I was ready for it, just on the basis of all the things that I had been interested in and passionate about. It was a natural for me. When I stepped into the role of producer, no one had to teach me. I knew what to do. Yeah. And I'm I'm still amazed. And and it's all because I just feel that, you know, for whatever degree, to to whatever degree, God had me set on a course and, and I was able to follow that course. Well, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, lean not upon your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs three, five through six. So Let's talk about this incredible union that came together, you and Rush Limbaugh. And I'm sure everyone is dying to know who came up with Bo Snurdly. So talk about how all of a sudden this comes together. You leave New York, you come down to South Florida, and this lifelong relationship, this incredible remaking of talk radio between the two of y'all. Help us understand how that happened. Well, at first I didn't leave New York. I was in New York when Rush came to Florida and I was still working at WABC because our studios in were at uh, Two Penn Plaza. We had moved from 1330. Um, and um, well, the first day I was with Rush, there, there were some other snurdlies before me. No one remembers them. And <laughs> <laughs> so the first day he says to me, uh, I, I'm bringing him new. I'm bringing him news stories. I put some news stories on his desk, um, and here these are. You know, Rush always did his own prep, which he was just amazing. Rush produced himself. I produced the show when Rush wasn't there. He, Rush was the most radio radio guy ever. He understood the medium like nobody's business. He was the. There's a reason he was the best because he was the best, and he worked so hard and he never stopped working his entire career but i would bring him news stories even before i worked on the show because we had developed a you know a friendly relationship and i'd see something and say oh this sounds like something rush could use so i would take it back so i brought in some news stories to him before the show and um he looks up this is maybe five minutes before the show and he says you know this is my first day with him as his call screener you know, you have to be a snurly. Have you picked a name yet? I, I looked down on his desk. This was in the day we had real newspapers. On the back, he had the Daily News, and Bo Jackson had done something or another. I just saw the name <laughs> Bo. Uh, Bo. And little did I realize that, that some 30, now 35 years later, that I would still be wearing the moniker Bo Snurley, but I love it. And it, it just worked. It worked with the show. And then my responsibilities with Rush gradually increased. He had a, an arrangement with WABC that they would provide his engineer and his uh, call screener. Uh-huh. Eventually, it morphed so that I became an employee of Rush. And I started doing a lot more than call screening. I was working behind the scenes. I was 
um, writing the morning updates that he broadcasts. And I had an editor that worked with us to that. And then Rush would do his own occasionally, but I was there as backup in case he didn't want to add lib one. I had his, I had it ready in his voice. And um, then I worked on the news, the newsletter, uh, helping to just do some contributions with the newsletter side. And it morphed into me producing the show when he was away and and all the rest of it. Um, so that relationship stayed in place. But then I took a hiatus and went part time with the show. And I went out to Seattle to with one of the very, very first companies doing streaming media. This was new. I had to find out about it. I wanted to understand what this new thing was with streaming media. So I went out to Seattle for a year and went back and then relocated from there with the same company to Washington, D.C. I still worked with Rush show part time. Um, and then I got the call from Rush's one of Rush's business partners. I, I talked to him because I sensed that something was going on with him. His voice had changed and something was happening. So. I called and I'm like, Rush, what's going on? And he just, he said, man, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. I talked to one of his business partners and that's when I found out his hearing yeah. was starting to go. And I stopped everything. And I just got on a plane and headed to uh, Florida to where he was and where the studio was. And from that day, I commuted down here for you to Florida for a year and then just moved to Florida and just started working with with the show full time again and with him full time again and didn't leave. And you know what's remarkable, Alan? Rush became completely deaf, as we all know. He had the cochlear implant. Mm -hmm. But most people don't realize out of his 33 years on the air, more than 20 of those, he did the show deaf. Incredible. He did that show deaf more years then he did it with his hearing. And the show just kept getting better and better. It's something that doesn't happen in radio. First of all, most people don't get a run like that of 33 years, but his audience kept growing. This man's audience never stopped growing from the time he started till the time of his untimely death. At the time of his death, Rush had over 27 million people listening to that show. Wow. It is unparalleled. And he did it because he was simply the best at what he did, the best ever. I remember when he went completely deaf, watching him do something I thought was impossible um, for as a broadcaster. He had these um, the, the updates and he would do a homeless update. So there would be a music. He'd hit the post. That's what we call it. Mm -hmm. When the vocals when the vocal starts, he was out clean. And then in the middle of the song, there was a musical interlude, and that's where he would deliver the homeless update. Now, here's this guy completely deaf, 100% deaf, can't hear a thing. This was before the cochlear implant was put in. He said, I'm going to do a homeless update. We all, it was three of us in the studio, Dawn, Brian, and myself, as were for many years, we kind of looked at each other. Well, okay, this will, he, Chewed for it, up starts the music, perfect, hits the post perfectly, not hearing a thing. I said, wow, 
Then the song rolls along at the exact moment in the song where he's supposed to hit it, where the musical interlude starts. He begins talking, wraps up, split second timing, all of it. Now, it is hard for music professionals to do that when they can hear everything. That kind of split second ab living, all of it in his mind, the timing of the music exactly to the split second, his uh, performance exact to the split second. I, I still shake my head in amazement that he was able to pull off something like that. There was, and, and there were so many other examples. There was, I, I've worked around Alan great broadcasters my entire career. I mean, the best of the best. Rush was in a class all by himself. There was nobody that did radio better than Rush Limbaugh ever, and there well, never will be. Well, that's, you, you know, it reminds me of, you know, Ludwig von Beethoven, who had lost his hearing in some of his greatest symphonies, you know, Symphony Number no. 9. Some of his greatest works came after he had lost his hearing. That's why they call him Master Beethoven. And you're talking about Master Limbaugh and what he was able to do and how he just revolutionized talk radio and you were part of that so let's transition now let's talk a little bit about your political activism and what you're doing now let's discuss the new journey pack uh i've been with you a couple of uh, visits you've made out here to the dallas texas area tell us about the new journey pack and what you're seeking to do with that organization i became tired of sitting on the sidelines and watching what democrats do year after year after decade after decade and they're doing it now, which is to play the race card at every turn and at the same time abuse the community that they are supposed to represent. Mm -hmm. Alan, you know this, if you look in city after city of America where mostly blacks and Hispanic lives, you'll find you'll you'll find a few things in common. You'll find a preponderance of uh, of Planned Parenthood centers mm -hmm. so that the genocide on black babies can continue. And, and harvesting of, I'm sorry to be so graphic, but the harvesting of body parts mm -hmm. from black babies, you'll find for profit, you'll find that that's in black neighborhoods. You'll find failing schools in most of them, regardless of whatever the funding is. In New York City alone, for instance, there are over 242 failing schools that continue to fail. You will find violence that plagues these neighborhoods and what is the response of those who are supposed to represent the community, but to release more criminals out on the street earlier so that they continue the murder, the mayhem, and the destruction of these neighborhoods. And you will find a political party that's supposed to represent these people that doesn't care a whit that all this is happening. And instead what they do is point their finger at the past of the American's history and they point their, their finger at other people and blame everyone else but themselves yeah. for these circumstances and offer no real solution. So a new journey is my humble my attempt. I founded it, but I have other people like Audrey Pruitt that actually run the day-to-day -day on it. And I hope is to message to black communities, especially during the election seasons, that there is another way. There is another path toward achieving the objectives of making of uh, these communities are uh, more responsive to what the people want, which is to enjoy their birthright of the American dream, to take part in the prosperity 
that is theirs as American citizens if they work hard enough and really want to achieve it. To um, so so this political pact is to help design to get leaders who actually will respond to the people that we care. And it's not just you know it's not just oh we we're out to campaign for black people we do, but no who's the best person to help? And that doesn't have anything to do with race so much as it has to do with ideology and can, yeah. who is the best person to bring the values, these conservative values that have been proven to work to help these communities that are in distress. And so that was the formation of, of New Journey. We have to take a new journey into not being obsessed with this endless race card and these endless ideologies, but actually to take a new journey into the success that is the American birthright. And that's why New Journey Pack was set up. And I'm pleased to say that now we're four years in and we've had our struggles. I'm just going to be brutally honest. Yeah. One of the things that we had to sit down with, we sat down, for instance, with a donor who had um, a, a family member was running uh, a, for a congressional seat and running against the black Democrat. They, they weren't black. And we and we kind of outlined what the challenges were that they would face because it was a really close district. And we knew we could get in and help this person win. Well, at the end of this discussion, this donor tells us, you know, you guys are doing really noble work. Language alert, because I'm going to tell you exactly what he told us. Mm -hmm. He said, you you guys are doing some really noble, really noble work. Only problem is you got to find somebody that cares about that black shit. <laughs> so, okay. Um, his daughter, his 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 family member goes out to do the first political speech, opens the speech before a mixed, a highly diverse crowd by saying, it's time to call a spade a spade. Game on. <laughs> and lost the election, of course. Yeah. Because, and so we run into that. We have run into, I'm not trying to shame anybody, but we have run into people who give us a lot of good mouthy mouth talk about how much they want to help and how much inclusion is necessary if the Republican Party is going to grow. And then they make all kinds of promises and then they never deliver. It's like, just get these, get these people out of the room. Yeah. Okay. So that still exists to a degree. But on the other hand, we've had a lot of people in the Republican Party that have embraced this mission. Alan, you know this, I know this, but to our fellow Republicans, if you don't know this, then you had please better wake up before it's too late. The America that you knew demographically is over. If you do not, if you do not broaden the horizons of the Republican Party, then you are destined to fail. The changing demographics of America require that if you are going to win on the presidential level, and if you have any hopes of maintaining congressional seats and senatorial seats, you have to broaden the tent. 
And by that, I'm not saying broaden the tent and start welcoming a bunch of liberal black people and a bunch of liberal Asian people, a bunch of India, a bunch of liberal um, Indian, and, and I mean from India and Native American. I'm not saying to bring in liberals. What I'm saying is find like-minded people who share your values and embrace them and give them a home in the Republican Party because these people are just as disgusted with what's going on in this country as you are. And if you alienate these people, let them sit home or let them keep unhappily voting for Democrats, the Republican Party is doomed for failure. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that when you look at Brandon Johnson, who just got elected the mayor of Chicago, that's a great indicator. You, you're talking about the gang situation, the violence, the lack of good quality schools, the failing schools, the lack of good, uh, you know, small business entrepreneurship, the fatherlessness and all of these things he supports. But yet they continue to, you know, vote for this because they're not seeing that viable alternative. The Republican Party has to reclaim its history and stop allowing the left to hijack it. I got like one minute to go. So what I want to do, how can people follow you, learn more about the New Journey Pack and, you know, stay up to, with everything that James Golden is doing right now? Okay. New Journey Pack, P-A-C, newjourneypack.org is how you reach us at New Journey. I am at Twitter, at BoSnerdly, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y. I'm also at Facebook. I'm also on WABC AM Radio, and you can get the app at WABCRadio.com. And I am accessible. I read my messages, can't answer them all, but I try to respond to as many as possible. And I am fully engaged. And I cannot thank you enough for the time to be with you, Alan. I so appreciate this. It's my pleasure. You're an icon out there in the black conservative movement. And I say that sincerely, and I can't thank you enough. So James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, God bless you, and thank you for being with us here at the Steadfast Law. And Alan West, my hero, always, always my hero. Thank you. You Blessings. God be with you. I'll be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Law podcast. I want to send out a special thanks to James Golden for taking time out of a very busy schedule to be with us. If you like this podcast, cast, please click the share. If you like this podcast, please click the like button and share it with others because we are here to inform and educate and activate you to go out and be steadfast and loyal to our constitutional republic. Until next time. See you later. Before they burn it down.